Welcome to the Happiest Ever After podcast. I'm your host, Tatiana Robertson. And yes, you heard right, happy-ish. Because this podcast is not about chasing the fairy tale. Our purpose is not to find Prince Charming and live in a castle. Our purpose is to live our own true story. But how do we do that with the overwhelm of the daily grind? Here on Happyish, I talk to so many amazing people, and we aren't just here to inspire you. We are here to give you tangible takeaways that you can use to create a life that you love, a life where you have tools to improve your mental and physical health, a life where you are the center of the story. The fairy tale was never real, and that's the good news because that means that you can take the pen and write your own story. Now let's get started and see where this takes us. Welcome back to Happyish Ever After. I am so excited about today's guest. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, but first off, I just want to say how honored I am to have her join us. We're going to have an amazing conversation about taking care of your mental health when you're a leader. We talk about taking care of your mental health, and taking care of yourself as an individual. We talk a lot in the corporate world about helping to care for the people that work for you, but I'm not actually hearing a lot of conversations about taking care of ourselves when we're responsible for others. And so I was so excited when Dr. Marina, that's what I call her, Dr. Marina, but it's Dr. Marina Avakian. She's a leadership coach and a consultant who supports leaders who are struggling with confidence and their vision for success so they can develop their confidence and this ignites their drive for achievement. She's an experienced leader with over 25 years of practice in large urban education systems, overseeing the administration and implementation of multi-million dollar programs and services. So she knows what it's like to be in the boiler. Dr. Marina has extensive experience in the areas of leadership and management and strategic planning and systems design, policy interpretation, implementation, all the things. And in addition to her education doctorate degree in leadership, she is also trained as a mental fitness coach, a breakthrough coach, and a professional life coach. Her practice is in Los Angeles, California, and I'm so pleased to have her join us here today. Thank you, Tatiana, for having me. It is such an honor to be a guest on your podcast. I have been listening to all of your podcasts, and I always enjoy meeting new people through you. And uh, this is truly a privilege to have an opportunity to share some of my gifts with your community. Oh, I'm thrilled because I feel like this is something we don't talk enough about, and I feel like women leaders, there's an expectation for us to be caretakers of our teams in a way that men leaders don't have the same pressure put on. There's not an expectation. This is my perception of this. And I think a lot of the time we also feel like we have to care for those people because this is what we're being told is expected of us. And I'm not hearing a lot of conversations around how we care for ourselves when we're in that position of leadership and feeling not just the fatigue from taking care of family, taking care of children, taking care of um, parents who are aging, being at a point in our careers when we have a lot of pressure on us and trying to support potentially new people that are starting their corporate career or, you know, 
maybe mid-career and also struggling with other things. So how do we find that balance? That's a really good question. Um, and I appreciate that you said oftentimes women leaders tend to be in those awkward positions of, am I the leader or am I the caretaker? I think, and this is certainly generalizing, not true of every single woman leader out there, but I think generally we tend to carry our nurturing, caring, parenting self to our leadership positions. So suddenly, just as we carry the load of the family's care on our shoulders, we also tend to do that in the workplace. And while our passion and our care for our people that we serve is truly an amazing value that we bring to the workplace that's much needed. The challenge is that we also begin to blend the boundaries. So without having those boundaries, we are now suddenly buried under the load of both home, caring for everyone at home, but also caring for everyone in the workplace. So boundaries are critical. That really resonates with me. I struggle with, am I carrying that over because there's a social expectation about how a female leader is supposed to show up? I see you nodding your head. Yeah, like even if we are not, because we're not all, just because we're women doesn't mean that we're all like inherently nurturing people. Right? There's nothing that comes along with that chromosome that says that. But society's expectations are that we will lead in a very particular way. Yes. Yes. And I think it adds a different layer of complexity and stress to the jobs of many female leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what the other aspect of this is that we're also... The higher up we move up as leaders, women leaders, we also have a different competitive setting that we are operating in because we look at our colleagues who may not be female, who are accomplishing things and moving forward at a different pace, partly because they operate differently. And we know that there's quite a lot of work out there that demonstrates that men approach work and leadership differently oftentimes than women do. And when we are also facing that competitive edge where we have to play to be able to compete, to show and to prove that we are good enough. And as women, again, this is generalizing, we are always having that internal debate of, am I good enough? Am I a good enough mother? Am I a good enough employee? Am I a good enough boss? Am I a good enough this, that, and that? So adding that layer to it, it makes it even more challenging for us to set those boundaries because when we do set boundaries as a woman leader, suddenly it seems like maybe I'm not doing enough. Maybe I won't be as competitive. Maybe my department won't move as fast. Maybe People will not think of me as a strong leader because I draw the line when the workday ends, it ends. And now it's my family time. And those are the things that we grapple with, which continue to keep us in that constant hamster wheel that we're in as a leader that's creating that overwhelm 
creating that stress and anxiety and that constant feeling of I'm not giving my family enough. I'm not giving my employees enough. I'm not giving my parents enough. Some of us are also caretakers for our elderly uh, parents. And especially those of us in, you know, in our mid years, 40s, 50s, we are now in on that end. Some of us even around that time, we also have grandchildren. So then we're feeling we're kind of not spending enough time there. It's that constant conversation that we're having with ourselves. So to really step back and say, what is my true purpose? What aligns with my heart? What aligns with me? What do I really want to accomplish? And what will be my legacy? When we talk about leadership, leadership is a responsibility, absolutely. Because we are entrusted with the work of the organization with the progress of whether it's our own business or someone else's, but it's also we're entrusted by a team, whether you have one imp- one person who serves um, in your under your leadership or you have an entire large team, regardless of that, it is a responsibility. So you have all these eyes on you. And then if you're a leader who also in who's in mid-management, so then you have people above you who are now looking at you to see how are you functioning, There's a lot of stressors that are inherent in the position. They just are. That's why it's so important to be able to step back and say, what is my true purpose? And is this aligned with my purpose? When we are disaligned, when we are completely detached from what really sits well with our intentions, with what makes our heart sing, Regardless of what position we're in and what organization we work for, we are not going to feel fulfilled because it's a constant battle of, I have to do this. I have to go to work. Mm -hmm. I have to get through this day. And those have tos, every time it's another stab at that feeling of, I don't want to be here. I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm not feeling joyful. So how do we make sure that we stay aligned so that we are feeling that connection? Certainly, there will be jobs that we will be in positions that we we will be, especially as leaders, that are not completely aligned 100% with what we do. That's natural. That's normal. It's very difficult to find one that's truly yours unless you are the business owner. You've built that business. It is yours. You created it. So how do we do that? Well, it's not our business and we have to work for someone. In everything that we do, we have to look and say, where is the gift and the strength that I have in me that makes me truly thrive when I'm in that state? And it might be only 50% of that job when you feel that way. Fabulous. Focus on your energy on that. For everything else that is a must do, I just must do this, whether I like it or not, whether I enjoy it or not. That's where you set the boundaries. I will work on this for this much time. My workday ends at this time. And building opportunities for you to find that joy and that connection and that purposeful, intentional way of building your on your strengths within the job and outside of work as well. 
So can you help me with this? This is where I struggle. I don't feel comfortable with the idea of either or. And I know that I have been in this place where the only way I can see that I'm going to have success, like there's no possible way I can have the success that I want to have in my career if I'm going to shut down at five or six o'clock, like, which is already a ex- bit of an extended day. Like, it's just, I can't possibly get the work done in the number of hours that I have in the day. And I, and I know because you mentioned earlier about the, how things are different and how men will lead differently, which whether or not that's because men are allowed to like expected, there aren't these expectations. So there's an extra layer with women that we have these additional expectations on us as leaders, but also we put limits on, I just think it's amazing when you see the data that comes out around like a man will apply on a job that he feels he's like 10% qualified for. And a woman Mm -hmm. won't apply on the job until she's sure that she is 100% Mm -hmm. competent in Mm -hmm. all aspects of the job, which is essentially she'll Mm -hmm. apply on the job that she's mastered, but won't reach forward. That's right. So I know this in my head, like Mm -hmm. I've seen the studies, Mm -hmm. I know the research, Mm -hmm. I get that this is what we do, but I can't help but feel but I still have the reaction of, mm-hmm. but oh my God, if I don't get this done, whether it's 10 o'clock at night or 11 mm-hmm. o'clock at night or midnight, mm-hmm. if I don't get this done, mm-hmm. I'm failing. I'm mm-hmm. not doing what mm-hmm. I need to do. And I love working. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I love working. I love working. Like I'm a health and wellness coach. Mm-hmm. I love working with my clients. Mm-hmm. I don't like, you know, I want to serve them mm-hmm. and I'm still a corporate leader who mm-hmm. also has work in that space that mm-hmm. is very engaging and I have a lot of passion about. So I have to have boundaries, mm-hmm. but I think the person I need to have boundaries with is myself, yes. but I don't want to settle. Like I don't mm-hmm. want to do less than my best. So that's where I still struggle. And I, and I know, I know <laughs> that the key to the mental health is to actually to have space and to do mm-hmm. the things that I love, but then actually doing them is so hard. You know, um, there's something you brought up, something you mentioned that I want to, I want to really dig into. You said, I don't want to fail. You talked a lot about your passion, both in your own uh, coaching business and also in your corporate world. And you said that with true deep passion, and I can see you on the screen, so I can tell you it was very evident. (laughs) And I did hear you say, I don't want to fail. Yeah. That feeling, I don't want to fail, is what's driving you. Oh, I hate letting people down. Uh, see? I hate the idea of not mm-hmm. being able to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. If you listen to the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 8. And right <laughs> away, I'm like, oh, my God. Uh-huh. It is. Oh, my God. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm having a moment here. Like, <laughs> Yep. I was not expecting this because <laughs> the eight's biggest mm-hmm. fear is fear of appearing weak yes. and not capable. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh right? my gosh. <laughs> right. If you think about this, I want to bring up the, the way our brain works as a mental fitness coach in area of positive intelligence. 
there's been quite a bit of work that's been done in, at, uh, at Stanford. And the work was done with hundreds of thousands of CEOs, executives, top executives, also Stanford students. But what it showed is that uh, the impact of some of these practices, mental fitness practices, that um, when they are in place, they do make a big difference in being able to really quiet down those thoughts that oftentimes are pushing us in the most negative ways by punishing us. So mm. our brain, you know, we say we have one brain. We actually have two brains. We have our survival brain, right? The one that immediately goes into action when there's danger. Mm-hmm. We've always had that. And that is the primary one that, that gets every, gets the attention and is always warning us of stuff. And then we have our thriving brain. That's where our sage lives. That's where our wise one lives. The issue becomes the fact that our survivor brain is the loud one. That's where mm-hmm. the judge lives. That's where that's the one that's always wanting to sabotage what we do. You know, I always as I work with people, I'll say, so when you put that that dress on, the chatter in your head said, Maybe this is not the best color. Maybe that's not the best one for this morning. Maybe this is making me look a certain way. You put your head up, hair up, then you said, mm, I don't think it looks that. Who was that? Constantly telling you something's wrong with whatever it is you're doing. That's the judge. Mm. That's the survivor brain. Because why is it telling you that? Because it's telling you others might not accept you the way you are planning to present yourself. That's the same brain that's telling you, if you don't work hard, if you don't put 24 hours a day into your job, you will fail. And then if you fail, everybody will think you're not good enough. Everybody will think, well, why should, did she get this job? She is not good enough. She's not competent because it's trying to keep you safe. But what happens with us as human beings, let me give you this example. As a, if we didn't have our survivor brain, If you put your hand on a hot stove, you wouldn't know to remove it. Mm -hmm. So you need the survivor brain. Yeah. Right? But there comes a time where you're keeping your hand on there way too long. So now you've given your survivor brain the full access to running your life. So while you're still burning your hand, you're like, well, I know I shouldn't be doing it. When we can get into our sage mind, that's when we're able to be creative. We go into our innovative mode. We go into that empathy state. And when we're in that state, we are able to make decisions with wisdom. How do we get there? I'm sure as a uh, health coach, you're very familiar with mindfulness practices, with Mm -hmm. meditation practices. But can I tell you something? Uh Here's the thing. Like I do the mindfulness and Mm -hmm. I think about this. Mm -hmm. And just now Mm -hmm. when I had this big epiphany moment, it was in my head, it was a real problem. Like if I don't do this, Mm -hmm. it won't get done. And so that is failure. So I'm taking, and I, and the funny thing is I hear this all the time. Mm from you know from clients it's the the what can i realistically do mm-hmm. but the truth is mm-hmm. i might not get a report done mm-hmm. 
at a specific time or get some process completed mm -hmm. and out the door mm -hmm. at a specific time. Mm -hmm. And that may be a fact, but my interpretation is I'm a failure. I'm not able to mm -hmm. do this mm -hmm. instead of actually looking mm -hmm. for the other ways of dividing the work amongst staff or getting more management on board or communicating mm -hmm. about timelines differently because I've got this lens on that I'm calling reality. Oh, this is my reality, but it isn't. It's actually my perception. And that was just a big yep. moment mm -hmm. that I had because mm -hmm. I thought, no, realistically, I can't do this. And mm -hmm. that's always a key for me whenever I go, oh, realistically, mm -hmm. because everything is really the creation mm -hmm. of how you see it. Yes. And yes. Uh, just when you spoke there, oh, my God, that's what mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't think about it that way. Mm -hmm. But that's the challenge, though. Yeah. That's the challenge with mindfulness is is that we think that we have an answer and then we're just going to ruminate in on it. And what we actually can do is continue to support our original idea. It's like I love thinking of mindset as mm -hmm. a pair of glasses that you put on. And, you know, when you go and you try on different sunglasses and they'll have all sorts of fun colors. You can get them and they can be pink colored mm -hmm. or purple colored, mm -hmm. or you put on some and they're dark gray and you can't even see your reflection mm -hmm. in the mirror in the store because you're like, okay, I'm blind. Yeah. And that's what mindset is. It shifts the color and perception of everything. That's how I think of it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But when you try to adopt a mindfulness practice, it doesn't inherently mean that you're taking off the glasses. Yes. That's Absolutely actually right. Why yes. I think having the conversation mm -hmm. with someone like you <laughs> and <laughs> then is that moment to see it differently so that then you can go, oh, wow, no, just a minute. Like, it's almost like you don't have the hands to lift up the sunglasses and you need someone else's help. So thank you for that. Well, my pleasure. You did the work, though, not me. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say this. That's why these mental um, fitness practices that I teach my clients through the program that I do um, are helpful because they take the concept of meditation and mindfulness, which really the idea, if you just simplify it to the core layman's ter in, in layman's terms, is that you're just clearing your mind so that you can actually have clarity of thought, so that you can actually have clarity of what it is that you're doing, just have no thoughts in your brain, Right. Can you well, share one of those? Well, I could in a minute. I'll, I will. So with okay. these practices, what you're actually doing, and this is the beauty of this research from Stanford, is that with these very um, brief, they're 10-second practices, some of them. You can do longer ones, but you can literally do them in 10 seconds. Some can be eyes open. Some can be eyes uh, closed. It could be moving. It could be standing. It could be in the middle of a meeting you're doing, and no one will know. They're so subtle. But what they do is they literally shift the functioning of your brain from your judge to the sage. They actually do. And right. the research showed that this was, when they did the research, they actually had people hooked up to uh, machines with the uh, with the brain scans where they can see 
the activation of the other side of the brain. So we can do one as an example. And again, this is not something that you would just do one time and you would just completely resolve everything. It's a, just like we work and you, know, you don't go to the gym one time and suddenly you have a six pack. It doesn't work that way. It's a, that's why it's Yoga. called mental fitness practice. Yeah. And they're called uh, positive intelligence, PQ, positive intelligence quotient reps. So PQ reps, where you have okay. to do multiple times a day. And there's a certain number that you have, you, uh, as you continue doing them, you um, create uh, the skill within you. And the more you do, there's a cutoff number where once you hit that threshold of PQ reps a day, you really start to see that change. So a simple example, and I'll um, have you join me in doing this. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, take a deep breath. I'm going to ask you to rub the two fingers of one hand together ever so gently, so lightly, where you can actually feel the ridges on each fingertip. can feel every ridge on both fingers. I'm going to ask you to put your two hands together and rub your palms and the fingers of one hand with the fingers of the other hand again, ever so lightly so that you can feel every ridge on each fingertip and in your palm. Right. You are when you're ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Okay. This is a simple one. And even though it sounds like, oh come on, like what is that gonna do? When you actually do the practice and in the program we have an app that gives you the daily practices multiple times a day and they're very quick. You again having done this through uh, in Stanford through extensive research they do see the change in the brain scans as how it, you go from that complete the judge side to your sage side. And over time, the behaviors that are aligned with that come. There's a lot more in it, which we don't have enough time to go into in uh, this podcast, but I definitely would encourage um, listeners to check the positive intelligence website and the research that's been done because it does make a difference. And I find that this as a leader, uh, and I was, as Tatiana shared, in a leadership position where I was my most recent position. I was in a um, school system with 26,000 students. Uh, so you can imagine the community and stakeholders that we were serving. It's very easy to find yourself in constant stressed state and feeling that you have to constantly be there to serve. However, when I was introduced to positive intelligence and I did start practicing it myself, I found myself being in that sage state allowed me to tackle the challenges, the issues much more confidently with such clarity. And it also supported the work that I was doing as far as setting boundaries. Like we talked about this earlier, Tatiana, you said, you know, it's the fear of failure that often drives and 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 
completely blends all the boundaries. When you are in that sage state and when you can truly see with clarity, you are able to look at your schedule and your workload differently. You are able to look at your people that you serve and the need for the work differently. You are able to look at your life differently and to say, okay, how do I prioritize? You know, we always talk about prioritizing and making lists, but then you ask a leader to make a list of what they have to do. That list often is pages and pages full of stuff. Well, that's not a list that anyone could accomplish. But when we get into our sage moments, okay, let's be creative. We're going to use our explore mode to say, okay, what can we do? There's a different approach when you come from that sage state to be able to tackle challenges. Can I share with you, that was amazing. <laughs> Good. For anybody listening, if you need to just rewind a little bit, I challenge you to just follow Dr. Marina's voice and do that action because it just calmed me. Mm -hmm. Like I am going to be doing this multiple times a day <laughs> between meetings. Yeah. And then as you are talking, mm -hmm. it's like, I can actually just picture it as you're talking. Like I feel even more present here. And I think I'm present mm -hmm. during these conversations. I lock everybody out. I mm -hmm. shut the door. I'm like, this is my time. It's just you and me, but it's a deeper level because at the time that we're recording, I didn't realize, but I was still in that heightened state because my work day isn't actually over. It's technically after work hours, but I know that I'm going to put in a couple more hours mm -hmm. after we get off. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because it really did mm -hmm. just, and the two hands, I can see mm -hmm. how like, cause you're moving both hands at the same time and the sensations coming from two different sides, but, but simultaneously, and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> good. Wow. 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 And then good. when you started getting into the list, I immediately imagined mm -hmm. my one note list that mm -hmm. I keep that you have to scroll, mm -hmm. you have to scroll. So obviously not humanly possible. No. And, mm -hmm. and I'm already like, okay, so how do I need to do this differently so that it is something that a living, breathing human mm -hmm. being that needs to sleep, mm -hmm. like regardless of everything else, yep. still needs to sleep, could accomplish some of these things. Yeah. And that's the sage talking because yeah, when you are hijacked by your judge, you look at the list and you say, oh my gosh, when am I going to get this done? Which one do I do? Maybe I can stay up two extra hours tonight and just get it done. Maybe I can go in at 6, 5 a.m. instead of 7 tomorrow and get this done. Because you're hijacked. You're, you're constantly in the survivor mode. So you are trying to survive. And in that survival, what do you do? You tax yourself. Because that's mm -hmm. the only one, the only thing that you can tax. Your own self. You can't you're, you're the leader. You're trying to resolve this and you're trying to get this done. Maybe you can't ask your employee to come at 4 a.m. or at 5 a.m. or work past midnight, but you can ask that of yourself. And hence... I would never. I would right? never ask exactly. that of Exactly. And in, like, I just... I wouldn't. And I wouldn't want them... I'm actually a little ashamed. Uh -huh. I don't want to set an example as a leader that this is what we do in this organization. 
and there's the, there's the judge it. again. There's the judge again because, well, I would be ashamed to even ask for that. And and in some workplaces, you can't even ask because of certain employment rules, whether it's unionized organizations. I mean, there's so many boundaries to that. What's more important I want us to keep in mind is that as leaders, we're always setting a model for our employees. What model are we setting for our employees when we're there way before and way after? And my so, kids. Absolutely. I don't want them to have careers like absolutely. Do, where they do this. Absolutely. When you look at your list in your stage mode, and again, I gave you a very micro, micro version of some of this and the program we do is a six-week program and you really get trained we call it the pq gym where you're constantly training and this just like you would train for a marathon because you have to prepare your yourself for it because some of us have a very strong judge that's so ever present in everything that we do um so when you get yourself into that sage mind you look at your list and you truly, just like to describe, you look at it and say, I know what's realistic and I know what priorities are. And these are the two things, three things that are absolute. And I know I can get this done. And then there's these three other things. And I know somebody in my department can actually take on portion of it and work on it while I'm doing this. You become very creative. Mm -hmm. You become very strategic. And mm -hmm. one of the powers of a sage is the empathize power. Because as leaders, we also work with people who may not have the same work ethic that we do. And that all often will challenge us because then we're like, well, I'll just do it myself instead of having to give it to them. And then they do it wrong. And right. But if we can bring up that empathize power in us so that we can empathize with people who in other times may have upset us just because our judge would come up. We actually look at people and we empathize with where they are. And that allows us to see how we can serve them and how and where their strengths are and what they bring to the table. Instead of judging that, well, they always make mistakes. They don't know what to do. What's wrong with this person? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of power in us being able to shift that thought. And the, the PQ reps that we work on through the program are so subtle and there's 10 seconds and you can do them while you're sitting in a meeting with eyes open. Mm -hmm. I use, I, you know, when I work with some of the leaders, especially I work with many um, school administrators and, uh, or administrators in the field of education. And sometimes they may have some, some people who come in, whether it's from community or parents or even uh, teachers who are very upset with them over something. And when you're sitting in a meeting, when someone's attacking you verbally and they're upset and they're angry, it's very easy for the judge to come out in us because we go into survivor mode. Nobody wants to be in a position where they're going to be um, insulted or things may be uh, said that they're unkind. You can do a PQ rep right there while you're sitting in front of people and you're looking at them because there's different versions. And that immediately takes you in that calm state where you actually suddenly are empathizing with the person and you're actually there and you're coming up with solutions that the stressed judge in you would never be able to come up. Mm -hmm. 
That makes such sense to me. And also, you know, the sage voice, mm -hmm. when you're being reactive, mm -hmm. it's like, how do I respond to this person? Mm -hmm. But when you're in a sage point, you can actually step away from it, mm -hmm. which also comes back to the boundary setting because it's actually okay for us to say, I can have this conversation with you and I can see that you're upset about this, mm -hmm. but I can't be the target of abusive talk or belittling because that creates stress actually for the whole team, right? Because everybody hears the person mm -hmm. yelling in the other room mm -hmm. and, and you actually can to a degree, like you can, you can set those personal, you can set, you can set boundaries around acceptable behavior and expectations and do all of the things because you're able to get out of the reactive state. Yes. Some, sometimes people aren't always awesome They're, employees, no. but when you're in a heightened reactive state, mm -hmm. it's really hard mm -hmm. to, that's not when you want to have a tough conversation, mm -hmm. but when you're in that stage, what are expectations? How yep. are we going to yep. performance manage? What are our goals? How are we going to work on this? What are my clear mm -hmm. expectations for you? Mm -hmm. Not my reactive, oh my God, yes. reactions to. So, you know, yes, like we can have, mm -hmm. we can just come from a much better Absolutely. place overall when we get out of reactivity. Absolutely. And we keep in mind that the person that has come in and they're angry, they're frustrated, they're yelling, they're unhappy with whatever it is, they have not done the work. How they're reacting is their judge. Yeah. Yes. They also are and stuck in there. They're hijacked by their judge. So if you also are in hijacked by your judge, now you have two brains that are trying to survive, two minds that are in survival mode attacking each other. This is like a battle in a jungle between two lions yeah. right you know that's not going anywhere good and the no. employee is the one who is at risk of losing their job so it makes it such a difficult potentially maybe depending on a situation but it creates such a such a head-on awkward situation that doesn't benefit neither the people involved nor the organization so if we no. if we are in our sage mind, we can help the employee be going to their sage mind or the person we're working with just by being in that state. Because being in that state, we are going to look for the thoughts that will come to us will be from the mindset of how can I connect with this person and help resolve this? How can I care about this person in the way that I communicate. Those are the thoughts that will come. And the person in front of us will not be getting that attacking judge coming at them. So it will get them, most for the most part, it will get them to be in that state too. It has this calming effect on others because it's the sage mode. And as leaders, we do have to make some tough decisions. And there are places where we do have to have those difficult conversations. That is a responsibility of a leader. So it's not to say that everything is going to be just hunky-dory because you're just going to be kind. And uh, Yes, I always say you can love and you can lead at the same time. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Right? You can be and a heart-based leader who 
truly cares about the human being first before the positions, titles, and the label that's placed on an employee based on the salary scales. If we start with the human and people see the human, they tend to connect more with that. And by bringing out our sage, we are much more creative, proactive. We are in our problem-solving mode. We are calm. We are able to set a boundary for ourselves and say, you know what? Let's have this conversation in an hour. Let's give each of us a little bit of time to think about this and come back to the table with some ideas. So one of the things that I'm hearing is that actually when we go into the sage mindset, when we're able to get out of that reactive, that we're actually managing our mental health, not by making changes for anything in our environment, but actually changing how we approach things. And if we're coming from a a sage mindset instead of a reactive mindset, we're actually preventing some of the stressors. Mm -hmm. I think of, um, I remember a wildlife show. I don't know when you were talking about, you know, (laughs) it's like being in the wild. I had this vision of, of like two, you know, stags and fighting, but then their horns become locked. And it actually does happen that both may perish Mm -hmm. because of their inability to get free and Mm -hmm. feed themselves Mm -hmm. and have water and they'll starve. It's a terrible way to go. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what it feels like when you're having, you know, Mm -hmm. this instinctive primal reactive response. And if you're caught up in that, your life doesn't become easier. You become enmeshed, like the horns are intertwined and you're both going down and you're probably yeah. taking a team with you because everybody else feels it, which adds to their mental stress and their load. So actually being able to do this is not just at the same time, it's a gift to the team, but it's actually a gift to yourself Absolutely. to manage your own mental health Yes, through moving out of that reactive yes with specific tools yes because that battle is depleting you of your energy to be able to do what you know you can do and add to that at the end of the day when you come home after having had that battle how are you with your family oh yeah right yeah so now the ripple effect of that state of constant survival and in judge state, it has huge ripple effects on your team, on yourself as a leader, on your family, and on your health. Because when we're in the survival mode, cortisol levels levels go high. Yeah. When you're in your stage mode, you're producing endorphins, which go against right they work against the cortisol it there is actual physiological change in your body by doing this and that's what makes you become a stronger leader because you don't ever have to raise your voice you don't ever have to find yourself in that reactive state that doesn't mean problems don't occur Mm -hmm. problems will happen because that's just part of the nature of work there will be things exactly things will happen It's how we react to it. And we have control over that. 
We often think we don't. We often think we don't. Most people think they don't have control, but we do. I think it's that we don't know how. We don't know how. That was such an amazing little exercise. I'm like, that's just one? How yes. many of these do you there have? There are many. There are many. <laughs> and Tatiana, the other thing with this is that, you know, we have, especially since pandemic, there are so many apps and so many programs and so many retreats that we can go on and do this. Those are all wonderful. But what happens when I come back from the mindfulness retreat? Yeah. I'm back to it and I'm not practicing because what I did there was for that moment. The apps, all of the different mindfulness apps, they require that I turn it on, I listen to it. But I, well, when I'm in the middle of a crisis management as a leader, I can't say, hey, Tim, just one moment, let me go turn on my mindfulness app so that I have my Zen moment and let me go sit for 10 <laughs> minutes, close my eyes. And there's no, that, there's no time for that, right? No. So, those practices, I love them, and I have many, and I practice uh, mindfulness as well. Those are wonderful for me to rebuild myself on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. But I want something that can help me when I'm in the middle of it. Because as a leader, how many decisions do we make in a day? Thousands. Mm -hmm. Because we have to, we have to re respond on the spot in the moment, because everyone's looking to see what will we do. I mean, think about it. I've been in some places where the team knows that that one person's coming to talk to me and they know what's what's going on. So they're all watching, not literally, but they're all watching until this person goes back out of my office, what will happen, right? Yeah. The team's waiting to see how will the leader manage that? Yeah. So... I always say to all leaders I work with, we what we say and don't say, what we do and don't do sets a precedent. Mm. So our response in crisis state, in the middle of it, mm -hmm. sets a precedent for how this company, not just how this one leader, but how this company manages crisis. Yeah. Right. That's why the more we can work on ourselves and understand our boundaries, the more we are empowered to be better leaders, not worse. Because the reality is there literally are only 24 hours a day you can work. I mean, you can you in a day yeah. and out of 24 hours, if you choose to work all of them, you can do a couple of days and that's about it. You know, so yeah. you cannot extend that time. You cannot create more time. You only have you. And at some point you will deplete yourself to a point where now you're in a health crisis. And there are people, I mean, we're looking at people with, you know, the term burnout is not a brand new term out there. No, no, not at all. And, and that's a lot of like most of the women who come to me are mm -hmm. midlife professional women who all of a sudden realize their bodies are not functioning and they're looking forward at the next 20 or 30 years and they go, I can't oh do it. Like I need, I need my health. I want to be capable mm -hmm. and able and to be able mm -hmm. to care for myself yes. and to be able to do the things that I love. Cause otherwise what's the point of working towards retirement when I can't do mm -hmm. anything? I have, I have no interests anymore. Yeah. And so that's why I felt like this conversation was really going to intersect 
at that point because so many are at this point where they're thinking, okay, what's the next 10 years going to look like? Mm -hmm. And how am I going to take care of myself so that there is a life left for me when my children move out, that there's something left of me Mm -hmm. and I feel happy and healthy Mm -hmm. with who I am. And I'm not sitting every night, you know, going home, you know, maybe picking up some dinner at a drive through and, mm-hmm. and plunking down to some Netflix, mm-hmm. you know, we want more from life. We yes. are like, we want to live amazing miracles of the universe and mm-hmm. deserve to, you know, we work hard every day and we deserve to have a beautiful life. Absolutely. We want fulfillment from life. Yeah. However, we are compromising life every day every moment we compromise over our positions our job and i understand we all need an income i there's you know my i'm not saying just quit your job and go live a fulfilled life because for many people quitting your job will create even more stress in your mind because now you don't have the resources it is about creating that harmony and i know the term balance is through work life balance i don't believe in a concept of work life balance because anytime you look at balance think of the scale one has mm-hmm. to give before the other one can win mm-hmm. it should never be one gives one wins there's no winners or losers in a in work and life it's a matter of harmony if we can build the harmony between work and life where our boundaries are clear both for work and for home Our boundaries are clear around our health. We are very clear about my health, my well-being, my mental well-being impacts my work, and it most importantly impacts my health, my relationships, my family, my children. Hence, how can I create that harmony between these two? And when I'm in the workplace, rather than constantly judge myself on well, if I, if I don't finish this project, I'm just not, they're going to think I'm a failure. If I don't finish this other thing, if I don't do this perfectly, that term perfect is this hammer that we've hung over our head that constantly we knock into, in and out of the door. There is no such thing as perfect. Absolutely. There, there is, is no, no such, such thing, thing as, perfect. as perfect. In fact, nope. I can't remember who said this, but they say, you know, perfect is the lowest standard you can set. It's not that it was perfect. Who defines yeah. it? Who defines perfect? Because my perfect and your perfect are completely different things. So t- moving yeah. away from that and saying, who am I? What am I good at? What gives me passion? What's my purpose? What's my legacy? And focusing in, and what are my strengths? Taking that and putting into the work with that passion is what people will see. They're not going to look and say, this was perfect. They're going to look and say, wow, that person care so much you could feel it you could hear it in their presentation and we forget Mm. because we become so mechanical we become so mechanical because we're in the judge mode so even when we do i mean how many of us as leaders we prepare this amazing presentation then we stand in front of people and the nerves come out the anxiety comes up again if we're in our sage mode we say we work from our passion we work from our heart So that's important. And I think one thing for us to keep in mind is, you know, in the workplaces, I've been doing a lot of research and and reading a lot of research that comes out. What I'm not seeing 
is organizations accepting responsibility over their leaders' well-being. They mm-hmm. oftentimes they'll say, well, you know, in order for you to um, make sure that you have good mental health, you should go seek help, you should seek uh, mental health support, you should uh, take, get rest, you should exercise, you should so on and so forth. That's all great, wonderful, and I'll do those. But then when you're piling more work on my plate, now I can't take a day off, I can't go and do this other thing, I can't leave home. So as organizationally, I think organizations need to really look at how are they contributing to the wellness of their leaders' mental health. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think that that's an important element, but I also know I'm not going to wait for that. I'm Good. not going to wait for Good. it because Good. I have to be Absolutely. the captain of my own ship. Yes. And the reality is I've I've used that analogy for the longest time. And I, I was explaining to someone, you know, here's the thing, though, to be the captain of my own ship doesn't mean I can control the weather. I can't control mm-hmm. how how like the waves or the current or the storm that might be coming or the wind or the sun. I can't control any of that. Mm-hmm. I can only control how I'm going to respond. Yeah. And I've got to say, you have given me so much food for thought here today, Dr. Marina. <laughs> and I have just absolutely loved having you on. Thank I feel you. like we could keep talking for another hour. But... <laughs> Thank you, so, Tatiana. I really what... appreciate it amazing tips. Now I'm going to put your, what's the best way for people to connect with you? And I'll put it in the show notes. That's great. I do want to thank you for this opportunity. And I want to thank your listeners for spending this time with us. I hope they, um, they took away some nuggets that will support them. I am on all social media. LinkedIn is the best way to contact me. So send me a message on LinkedIn. Let me know if you heard me on Tatiana's show, certainly. And Again, Tatiana, you are so wonderful. I have been following you and listening to you for now for a few years. <laughs> and uh, it is just, you have such a gift about um, bringing the right people and bringing the best messages. And I truly have enjoyed it. And I will continue to be an avid listener of your podcast. And I appreciate Aww. you giving me this opportunity. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so glad that you were able to join today. And I always enjoy our conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am so blessed to have guests like Dr. Marina come on to my podcast. She has incredible wisdom and experience. And if there's someone that you think could really benefit from hearing some of the tips that she shared, managing stress, then I encourage you to hit the forward button on the podcast and share it with a friend. And I hope that you have a beautiful day. Much love.